0: So we're going to continue our sermon series called Vision and Values, kind of 2.0. This is the second year we've done it. Our values are the gospel. We talked about that the first week. You're going to hear the gospel every single week if we do it right here at Restoration Road. Like we're going to talk about Jesus, 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 Jesus' perfect life, Jesus dying for our sins, Jesus rising again all the glory to Jesus. So the gospel is about everything. We want to preach that gospel because as we preach that gospel, it just keeps glorifying Jesus and we find our greatest joy when we're living for the fame of his name. Secondly, Pastor Dave talked last week about being family, how God made us not to live in isolation. We don't change in isolation. We can't serve in isolation. He's called us to live in a community, a new community, birthed by the Holy Spirit where we become Brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, bound by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ runs through our veins. We are family now. We take responsibility for each other. We build community with each other. We serve each other. We love each other. We encourage each other. So that's family is our second thing. This week we're going to talk something about something that is the heart of all we do here at Restoration Road Restoration. When we were thinking of a name for this church, we wanted to keep the road because we're from, our sending church is called Seven Mile Road. They're right over here in Melrose. So we wanted people to see a family connection. But at the same time, we knew it had to be contextualized to who God has called us to and who we are. We wanted the name to shout, if you're broken, we worship a God who restores a merciful God, a gracious God, a loving God, a caring God, a God who is Father and makes all things new. We wanted the name even to shout that to people, that we're all about restoration. And that's really at the heart, if, um, if I can share a little about myself, the reason I committed to leading a church plant from the ground up and starting from scratch is because I believe God had called me to lead a people who would lead a church who would reach broken people that would be restored? That there were the fatherless were out there, the addicted were out there, the abused were out there, the lost, the confused, the dysfunctional, the full of drama were out there, and the Holy Spirit was calling Restoration Road to be a church where broken things were restored. Where people who came from families that are absolutely broken and dysfunctional could break the cycle, and their families could walk in full restoration. In the glory of God. Where people who addiction was just ravaging their families and they couldn't get out of it, that they found sobriety in the gospel. Instead of turning to booze and heroin and anything else, they turned to Jesus Christ who filled every need they ever had. Where people who were abused and couldn't break that cycle and who were hurt and came and found restoration and healing and felt loved and valued and even worthy of God's love because of Christ. That's why we... Planted Restoration Road. It was kind of come as you are, because God did what we couldn't do. And His heart is, what does Jesus love to be called? What does what God love to be called? The father of the fatherless, the care of widow, the fathers to the orphans. What is true religion? to take care of orphans and widows, to get where the brokenness is, to walk into the ruins, to walk into the darkness and say Christ is all and we have a redeemer and we have a savior and we're here to give our lives so you can be cared for and know God and even have eternal life. Amen? And so that's at the heart of all we do. You can see it in the way we dress. I don't wear a tuxedo in here because we're trying to reach broken people and are so stressed about what they're going to wear to church. Amen? Uh, we want the last thing to be if someone feels like they can't find a suit for Sunday. Now, if you want to wear a suit, walk in here. We ain't going to judge you. We'll tell you you have a nice tie. Alex has a coat on today. He's looking good with the sports coat. All right, I'll rock the tie once in a while. I'll have my Easter tie. We don't care if you wear a tuxedo. We wear a tank top in here. We want you to come as you are to know Christ, amen? Because God doesn't look at the outside. He's looking at the inward. He's looking at our hearts. And we want to see the broken restored here at Restoration Road. We really believe that the Holy Spirit is moving in power and this is just the beginning of a movement of broken people being restored all across New England. We believe that with our whole hearts and that's what we're laboring towards and giving our life towards and suffering towards and sacrificing towards and forgiving towards and getting up and working for every single morning. That's the cross. This community is called the bear. And so today I want to talk about that restoration, but you know what I do when I start off my intro. We got to tell a parable of the Vec. To understand the heart of restoration, right? That's what we do around here. Years ago, I told you I'm an electrician by trade. Jesus was a carpenter, so I feel all right with that. We had to do a huge, I think I was in my 20s, we had to do a huge three-family service upgrade. We needed five people to finish this job. It was like an all-dayer. I was stressed out about it, but we were going to make a lot of money in one day. And so we got up real early, but before we started the day, the night before, I went out and bought a brand new tool. And I, it was my first real big purchase of an important tool. It's like a ratchet cutter that cut the big service wire that powers up your whole house. You throw the ratchet around it, you crank on that bad boy, and it cuts through it like provolone. And you just get on, you throw it on, you cut it, but this tool was like two or three hundred bucks. So I'm excited about it, but it's a big purchase, but I gotta walk up and I'm getting ready for this. But I had a bunch of different guys helping that day. So one of the apprentices decides an hour into the job that he's gonna twirl the ratchet on his finger. Just walking down the driveway like doo 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 doo, click. All of a sudden, we got a situation. This guy could lose his finger on the job, and I'm trying to finish it, and we have to break the ratchet cutter in order to salvage his finger. So I had to make an ethical decision. Finger or ratchet cutter? Thank God we made the right decision. But Joe Vec came up with some tool he had from 1904. You see the tools. We go in the garage. There's 952 of them. He walks in. He hit some sort of pin. I'm not mechanical. So he hit some sort of pin, it released the ratchet, but the whole thing fell apart onto the ground. My $250 ratchet cutter, the glory of the job has been devastated and broken. Neither stay at 11 o'clock at night, we're hacksawing the service wires. We didn't get to use the tool. Now, I'm not mechanical. You could leave me for a decade in a cave with that ratchet cutter. I could not put it back together. I just like go say I can't stand out, throw a piece against the wall. I couldn't do it. Joe Beck woke up on Saturday morning with a magnifying glass that bent over. You know those old school dudes got that magnifying glass that bent over? Looking at every piece, and he spent the next three hours, he put this whole broken ratchet cutter back together. It was better than new. I was just cutting anything I could with that thing at that point. You know what I mean? The tool was restored. It was valued. I used it for the next 10 years in electrical. It was one of the best investments I've ever made. The reason I share that story, because in Joe's hands, he did what I could not do. He put that broken thing back together. I could have never done it. You could have left me there for the rest of my life. Our life... They're tremendously broken. We all have been broken throughout life in different ways, amen? We have broken areas of our life. And we look and say, there's no way I can put this back together. I can't fix this. But you know who can fix this? Our loving Father. With His hands, He loves to put our lives back together. He loves to... See that brokenness so he can restore it. So he can take the time over our lives and put every piece, every bow, every piece back together. So it not only brings us tremendous joy as we feel his love and experience his love and able to love others. But it brings so much glory to Jesus when broken things are restored. When our lives are restored through the grace and love of God, it brings such glory to the name of Jesus. Amen. So that's at the heart. I I know you guys. I love you guys. Some people I've known for a while. Some I'm getting to know. I will say this. I'm thankful for each and every one of you that you're in our lives and in my life and that I get to be a part of your life. But I would tell you this. I can see the thread of the Holy Spirit calling you here to heal you in broken areas and to restore your life. And that's what Jesus is doing here at Restoration Road for his glory. And that's why we value restoration so much here. So if you would turn with me to the text we're going to learn from today. 2 Corinthians, chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. That's 2 Corinthians, chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So that's the word of God we'll be learning from today. We're going to focus on three things today. What is Paul talking about when he says, I pray for your restoration? What, what kind of restoration is he praying for in that text? Secondly, why does that restoration matter so much for our church? Why does that matter? And thirdly, how do we apply that value practically to our life as a church? So just to give you a picture of what the Apostle Paul is getting at here with restoration, is to understand the Greek word for restoration. It gives you the picture of something that's absolutely out of joint, like dislocated, that's put back into joint. A limb that is absolutely out of joint that needs to be put back into joint. When I was younger, one of my buddies had a father who was like Mel Gibson, just kept throwing, if you remember the Lethal Weapon movies, he'd always dislocate his shoulder, anything we did. Like, we'd be playing basketball in the church hoop, he'd go off for a layup, he'd just drop to the ground, scream in pain. And then someone would have to like hit him with the knee and snap the thing back in. That's the kind of picture of restoration that we're talking about here. Things that are out of joint in your life. They're dislocated and we know it. This is out of joint. This is out of place. This is causing pain. This is hurting. And Jesus needs to put it back into joint. And Jesus wants to put it back into joint in our life. So the pain is relieved. I remember when that guy with the shoulder would go back in, he'd just go, oh, thank God. It was like some of the worst pain that he ever experienced when something was dislocated. And Paul, just give you a heart of what Paul is warning them about when he talks about these things being out of joint, in the chapter before, in 2 Corinthians twelve 20, I'll just read it to you now, he says, I fear that perhaps, perhaps, when I come to you, I may not find you as I wish. And that you may may not find me as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling and jealousy and anger and hostility and slander and gossip and conceit and disorder. He gives a list of things that are out of joint. Right? Envy and quarreling and gossip. All these things are out of joint. And he's saying, I'm afraid that when I get to the church to visit you, that you're still going to be in that state of gossip, that state of conceit. And he talked about in the book of Corinthians other immoral things that were going on in the church that he says this is out of order. This is not in order. It needs to get back into joint. Now, he kind of talks like Clint Eastwood right there, right? Back in the day, he's like, listen, I might find you not like I want to find you, but you might find me not like you want to see me. That's Apostle Paul saying, listen, I want to come to you in weakness, but if there's not... Change in repentance of sin. I'm going to have to impose my apostolic authority. You might not see. You might see me in an authoritative manner because things are out of order there and not in line with the gospel. Just to help you understand what Paul's saying in that text. So this helps us see what Paul is praying for when he's praying for restoration and what his aim is for restoration for the church because. When we say our mission for the church, we exist to see people restored by the gospel. What Paul is saying is, a life that is being restored is a life that is turning from sin, is repenting of sin, is believing the gospel, and is loving God in perfect fellowship and loving each other in perfect fellowship. Our lives are being restored when we are turning away from sin. This is so vital for a church. That's why Paul constantly preaches, listen, I'm preaching grace to you, but don't you dare think that's a license to sin. Because if you think that's a license to sin, you're not getting the gospel. Grace is empowering you to grow in holiness. Yes, we all fall short of the glory of God, but God did not send his son to die to leave us broken. God did not send his son to die to leave us broken. He sent his son to die, not only so we could be forgiven, but so that he could restore broken things. Some of you come from families that are absolutely broken. He has not called you to stay in that brokenness. He's called you to break those strongholds. Just because your parents got divorced, doesn't mean that you need to get divorced. Even if you've been divorced, it doesn't mean God is done with you. He still wants to restore you, amen? This is important things to hear. This is why it's so important. God is not leaving us broken. Some of you have come from such addiction. I mean, it had a stronghold for your life. You might be years sober, you might be two days sober. He has not called you to stay in that brokenness. He's called you to walk the rest of your life in sobriety, knowing him and receiving his grace, amen? Some of you have gone through such traumatic abuse in your life. An absolute nightmare you went through. God has not called you to be defined by the way someone has sinned against you. He's called you to be defined by being a restored person through the blood and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? This is so important because God did not save you he did not save me. He did not save us to leave us broken. He saved us to restore us and put us back together. Amen? And I remember years ago, when I first started following Jesus, I was hyped for Jesus, man. And I was in a Pentecostal church. You know, I talked about suits. I had like an 18-piece suit um, on every Sunday. Cufflings, things shining. I walk in there righteous. Righteous. And Natalie came from, like, a blue-collar church, and I was always dressed up. I always had, you know, remember when those, those sweaters with the necks, like, those uh, Jason Statham sweaters were in? I'd always have one of those on, just casual on a Tuesday night. And she's like, man, can I go out with this dude? He's always dressed up. Now I'm just rocking Henleys. I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, so I'm in church. I'm in my early 20s. And I'm all dressed up. That's why we took that rabbit trail. Here we go. And an older guy in the church walks up to me. And he must have thought I was looking good that day. And he says, Joey, you must be killing it with the ladies out there. This is the usher in the church. And I said, no, I'm waiting for the, And I'm being dead serious, right? I said, no, I'm waiting for the the woman God has for me. And he was like, come on, dude. You can be honest with me. You're killing it with the ladies out there. I was like, no. I'm waiting for the woman God has for me. My face changed. His face changed because he said, oh, this dude's serious. And I had this naive, like, scales ripped off my eyes where I realized everyone wasn't following the rules. I realized people were living double lives. Like, it was a big moment in my life where I said, people out there cheating. They're in here raising their hands and singing songs. They're out there living immoral. Like, it was this moment where my, in my self-righteousness, I was like, wow, they're living double lives. The reason I share that story is because that guy laughed casually at immorality. He was saying, we're in here, but we all know how we really are. We live the way we want outside these walls. I never want Restoration Road to be that kind of place. Listen, we're sinners saved by the grace of God. We fall short. We need the blood of Christ more every day. But shame on us and a holy shame. If we ever play church and play Christian and come in here, just to appease our conscience and never allow the Holy Spirit to absolutely transform and restore our lives. Holy. So we're the same person on Monday as we are on Sunday. The same person we are with our family that we are outside with our family. The same person at work that we are in church. A person who is restored by the gospel. My words matter. My speech matters. Holiness matters. Forgiveness matters. Repentance matters. I want to be like Christ. You want to be like Christ. We need to act like Christ because the Holy Spirit is restoring our brokenness, and that's the business he's in. Let those be the traits of who we are as sons and daughters of God. We need to take every day with a somber seriousness that the Holy Spirit inside us is making us more like Jesus. Jesus and calling us to turn from sin and walk in restoration. And I've seen that with many of you. I've seen that with many of you. As a pastor, I've seen some of you, and I'll say no names, but it, it really just makes my heart glad as a spiritual father. I've seen some of you to walk in holiness move on wedding dates earlier than you first planned. Wow, does that make my heart leap because I know how serious. You take your walk with God and how much you love God. I've seen some of you who struggle with money start to become generous, even just taking steps with generosity. Wow, it's wonderful to see the Holy Spirit working and restoring you in that way. I've seen some of you repent and ask others for forgiveness, where you never did that before in your life. Wow, it's wonderful to see you humble yourself and be like Christ. And just see God restoring you. It's just, that's what restoration, we exist to see people restored by like that, like that. To see God really taking hold of a man or a woman's heart and then becoming like Christ. You know, the goal of the church is that we all mature to become more like Christ. That's the restoration that's going on. And we want to be marked by a trueness and an authenticity there that our faith changes us as God continues to love us and restore us. So let's talk about how we apply that to our life as a church, practically. We aim for the broken here. When you ask what people are we trying to reach, we're trying to reach the fatherless, the addicted, and the abused. Everyone is invited, though. Everyone's invited into this family. How are we reaching the fatherless? We started in a small step this past winter. We gave $1,800 over the last four months to different single mom families to help them buy gifts for Christmas and also to help them in other hard times during the spring. We asked for $1,500. You guys were generous. Gave $1,800. And those all went to families in need. We want single moms to feel like they have a home here and they're not less, but they're valued and loved by God and God is going to restore them and he's going to be a fatherless, be a father to their children, a father to the fatherless, and there's going to be men in here who act like dads to fatherless children. That's what we aim for. So either you're broken or you have a heart for the broken and you want to step in and you want to help out. I pray that God starts making pulling some of our hearts of our families that we even look towards adoption and foster care. That we want to care for the orphans because Massachusetts is filled with fatherless children that need healthy families to say we'll care for you, we'll sacrifice for you, we'll serve you. Amen? So that's one way and we'll continue to pray and grow in that. The second one is we care, there's a For the addicted, there is a heroin epidemic. There is just a substance abuse epidemic right now that is killing people every day. We want to push back on that darkness. We have many of you in here that struggle with addiction and you're walking in sobriety. Glory to God. It's amazing what God has done. But in the fall, we're going to start something called Celebrate Recovery. It's a Christ-centered 12-step program that's going to meet right here at the church to help people be restored by the gospel when it comes to walking in sobriety. That's something we're committed to, and that's something we're going to do. I even went on a trip with Dennis to New York. You know we're sacrificing when I'm doing that. We ate the best Jewish deli place I've ever eaten at. Roger, if you're ever around Pennsylvania, pal, I got the best pastrami Reuben I've ever gotten in my life, and I'm not like a food genius. Finally, we talk about reaching those who have been sexually abused. There has been an anonymous group of women who have been meeting, starting in January, who are healing from sexual abuse. I hear that it is going so well. People are really healing in that group. If you're someone who's been through that, We want you to join next year because it's already halfway through because we want to be a place where people can heal from sexual abuse. We're already seeing people being restored by the gospel. God is doing it. We have to stay committed to that and we have to make that our aim. We have to sacrifice for that. We have to change our lives for that. We have to pray for that. That's the aim of restoration. And secondly in this application point. What is, the, what is one of the primary ways that God restores our lives? The instruments he uses. Each other. You're never restored in isolation. That's why marriage is so sanctifying. If you're doing marriage right it's hard. Because you're supposed to be sacrificing and serving one another. Right? It is sanctifying when two sinners get together and say, hey, let's spend the rest of our lives together. I'm selfish, you're selfish, let's do this. Awesome. Let's throw bills and Boston's cost and all that stuff into it. Let's party. It's hard to be married. But when we adopt the heart of a servant, and we adopt the heart of love, it actually becomes so sanctifying because we wake up and we say, this is not about me. I'm going to give my life for my wife, and I'm going to give my life for my husband. And I'm going to give my life for my children. It actually makes us more like Christ. It's the same thing with community. We got so many different types of people in here. Different political views. We got vegans and meat eaters. We got Stoics and Pentecostals. We got Ameners and people are mad at Ameners. We got all types of people in here. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. We have the most important bond. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us, that overcomes all our differences. And we start to learn to love each other when we're not like each other or believe or talk like each other or have the same philosophies or we let each other down and we need to forgive each other. That's when Christ is born in us. That's when we're really restored. We learn to become like Christ who gave his life for sinners He gave his life for us while we were sinning against him. And when we can give our life for each other, even though we're letting each other down and having good days and having bad days, that's true love. That's the love of Christ. And that helps us become like Christ. And God, that is the mechanism he uses. Community is the mechanism he uses to restore us. He's going to put people in your life to encourage you. He's going to put people in your life to talk to you The Bible calls it admonish you to tell you hard things that the Holy Spirit is trying to reach you on. Right? He does that a lot with pastors, right? He puts the pastors in your life at the perfect season to speak those things into your life that the Holy Spirit is trying to restore in you. He puts people in your life who are going to be like a dad to you and people in your life are going to be like a mom and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters and... He calls you to love them and through that we are restored. Amen? We are a relational church. We build relationships with each other. We love each other through every season of life. We fight for each other. We have each other's back. We take responsibility for each other. In doing that, we are restored. And I'll close with this last story. I've just taken up reading a lot. So you guys are hearing a lot of reading stories. I'm really not trying to sound smart. I think I'm a lot smarter than I am. I realized I'm not that smart. I was trying to find a novel that would help me because I'm always reading tough theological books. I'm always reading about the purpose and existence of everything. I'm figuring out the cosmos. This is what I do during the winter. I figure out the cosmos, I read books, and I bother Natalie. That's what I do during the week. I figure out the meaning of everything. So I said, Joey, enough. I need a novel. I need a light novel. I walk into Amazon, and I see this book on the bookshelf. It says The Orchardist. I'm like, man, that's a pretty cover. See, it's that easy. The cover matters. It's a pretty cover, man. That looks like a light book. Read the back five stars. This is it, Natalie. I'm going to read a light book. This was the heaviest book I read out of all of them. Just brokenness and abuse and heartache. But at the heart of the book was God bringing a bunch of misfits together and making a family. Me and Natalie often say God sends Restoration Road a bunch of skilled misfits because he has a plan and we're skilled misfits ourselves. But A man who was running the orchard, who had a bunch of heartache in his past, the orchard. Um, He ends up becoming like a dad to these two orphans who were abused. And one of them ends up having a child and one loses a child. And he becomes like a granddad to their daughter. A woman in town who had no family would just kind of take care of the poor. She becomes like a mother figure. But you read this whole book and you just see all the brokenness happening and them loving and them becoming a family. And at the end of the book, just the, the, the granddaughter is left. And they had somehow got old and passed away. Some passed away in other means. And they had sold the orchard and, and she goes there. And someone else had they had to finally sell it and they cut down all the trees. So the trees weren't even growing anymore. But in the last paragraph, it gave me one of the greatest pictures of restoration I've ever seen or I've ever kind of experienced in a book. She looked at the house and she saw it in the greatest moments of her family when they were living in total restoration. I mean, the guy who is like a grandfather to her, who had, wasn't really a hugger, but he kind of pat her on the back. He just walks up to her, Caesar, her with a smile, and he pats her on the back the way that he loves and shows affection. And she sees that in the, her mind's eye. Then she sees her aunt, who had all kinds of trauma she'd been through, but still tried to love, and she gave her a kind of smirk, and she showed her that she loved her, and she was fully healthy in the way that she remembered her. And the one who'd been a, a mom to her was on, like, the porch in a rocking chair and said, come in and we'll cook those things we always cook. And her, You know, there was a full picture of restoration in that picture. A bunch of misfits made a family all the brokenness gone and only a restored family the reason i share that story is cuz that's my my heart for restoration road that we actually become a christian family in the deepest sense of the way that a bunch of misfits skilled and gifted and called misfits come together and really become brothers and sisters in christ really become fathers and mothers and sons and daughters so that when people see us, that they get the same kind of view. Like I knew that person and they were broken and they're different now because of Jesus Christ. And the way they love people and the way they serve and the way they take responsibility and the way they love their family is totally different. That's a different person now. That woman is totally different. She used to be a gospel, but now she's a prayer warrior. She used to be someone who's absolutely selfish and all about herself and all about drama, but now she's the most peaceful person I've, I've ever seen. Look at that pastor. He was real messed up. But God can use it, even use broken things to bring restoration because God is most glorified when He calls the weak to be strong. Amen? So that's the heart of restoration. God is not leaving us broken. He's restoring us. He's calling us to be a family. And when we create that picture of God's family, it brings so much glory to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, those are grand things we just talked about. Those are big things we just cast vision for. It's not a small thing, Father, for broken people to be restored by your gospel. That's what you died for. It's not a small thing to call people to love each other. That's what you died for, though. It's not a small thing to call people with past like ours, like many of us, to be proclaimers of your gospel of restoration. It's not a small thing to ask those who don't have broken paths to give their lives to care for broken people. It's not a small thing to ask people to consider adoption and foster care or sobriety or healing from traumatic abuse. But Lord, we pray that you do it in us. That our faith is genuine, Lord. And that we really pass the test as your scripture speaks about even before the verses we spoke from today. That there's so many tests that you, you put in our life. So many tests that test the genuineness of our faith. And when we get to those places, I, I pray that we don't choose the cycle of brokenness, but we choose to be restored by you. Father, please do that. As I always pray this time of the year, Lord, I pray that single moms who are struggling, that you would send them here to be loved by Restoration Road. For the children who are wondering where their dad is, I pray that you send them here to Restoration Road and they have spiritual dads here. For those who are out just using again, Father, I pray that they would put down the needle and the bottle for the last time and walk in sobriety. And for those who are depressed and hopeless, Father, because of the abuse they endured, I pray that they would find healing in your gospel and healing at Restoration Road. Father, use us as wounded healers. Cause true religion to reign in this place. We really don't want to play church, Father. We want to be a family who advances your gospel and who wakes up every day and we all take up our cross as a community and we follow you, Father. Because your love is better than life and we want as many people as possible to know that. We ask all these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen.